Chapter Fourteen of the Green Rust by Edgar Wallace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Kirsten Weber. The Green Rust by Edgar Wallace. Chapter Fourteen. Mister Beale suggests marriage. Held up by a gunman? Asked James Kitson incredulously. Why? What do you mean? It doesn't sound right, does it? Smiled Beale. "'especially after McNorton telling us the other day "'that there was no such thing as a gunman in England. "'Do you remember his long dissertation "'on the law-abiding criminals of this little old country?' "'He laughed. "'But a gunman,' protested Mr. Kitson. "'By the way, have you had breakfast?' "'Hours ago,' replied Beale. "'But don't let me interrupt you.' "'Mr. James Kitson pulled his chair to the table "'and unfolded his napkin.' It was almost at this hour that Oliver Cresswell had performed a similar act. "'You are not interrupting me,' said Kitson. "'Go on.' Beale was frowning down at deserted Piccadilly, which Mr. Kitson's palatial suite at the Ritz-Carlton overlooked. "'Eh?' he said absently. "'Oh, yes, the gunman. A sure-enough gunman.' He related in a few words his experience of the previous night. "'This man, Homo,' said Kitson, "'is he one of the gang?' Beale shook his head. "'I don't think so. He may be one of Van Herden's ambassadors.' "'Ambassadors? I will explain Van Herden's game one of these days, and you will understand what I mean,' said Beale. "'No, I don't think that Parson Homo is being any more than a gentle knight succoring a distressed lady.' whether for love of the lady, out of respect for the professor, or from a general sense of antagonism to all detectives. I can only speculate. Anyway, he held me until the lady was out of hearing and presumably out of sight, and then there was no need for me to go. I just sat down and talked, and a more amiable and cultured gentleman it would be impossible to meet. Kitson looked at his companion through narrowed lids. "'Why, that's not like you, Beale,' he said. "'I thought you were too hot on the scent to waste time.' "'So I am,' said the other, thrusting his hands deep into his pockets. "'That's just what I am.' He turned suddenly to the older man. "'Mr. Kitson, I've got to know a little more about John Millenborn's will than I know at present.' The lawyer looked up fixed his glasses, and regarded the younger man with a troubled look. "'I'm sorry to jump in on you like this, but I'm rattled. I don't understand much about English law, though I know that marriages aren't as easy to make here in London as they are in our country. But here, as everywhere else, it is fairly difficult to force a girl into marriage against her will, and the marriage, of course, is not good in law.' He sat down on the arm of a couch, dangling his hat between his legs, and ran his fingers through his hair with a nervous little laugh. Here I'm telling you all that I came to ask you. Have a cup of tea, said Kitson with a smile. Everybody in England rushes to tea, and I hope I shall get you into the habit. Beale shook his head. You are right about the marriage, Kitson went on, but I'll give you the law on the subject. A marriage can only be solemnized if due notice is given by the parties, 
who must be resident in the district where it is to take place. Three weeks is the period of notice. Is there no other way? Yes, by paying special fees and offering a good and sufficient reason, a faculty can be secured from the Archbishop of Canterbury, or rather from his officials, authorizing a marriage without notice. It is called a special license, and the marriage may occur at any hour and at any place. Is there a register of applications? asked Beale quickly. I've thought of that, nodded the lawyer. Yes, I'm keeping that side under observation. It is difficult, because officialdom isn't as obliging as it might be. My own view is that Van Herden will be married in the ordinary way, that is to say, by giving notice. To secure his special license, he would be obliged to give his own name and be vouched for. He can be married in the ordinary way, even if he gives a false name, which, in all probability, he will. Would the marriage be legal if it was in a false name? Absolutely. In English law you may commit an offense by marrying in a wrong name, but it would not invalidate the marriage. Stanford Beale sat, studying the pattern of the carpet. Is there any chance of two special licenses being issued to marry the same girl? he asked. None. Why do you ask? Beale did not reply immediately. Something Homo said last night when I told him frankly that I was searching for Miss Cresswell. Oh, he said, that's the lady that's marrying the doctor. He wouldn't tell me more, but he gave me an idea to make sure that no special license is issued to Van Herden. I shall apply for one myself. The lawyer stared at him. To marry the girl, he gasped, but Stanford Beale laughed a little bitterly. Say, don't get up in the air, Mr. Kitson. I'm only thinking of Miss Cresswell. A special license in my name would stop one of Van Herden's paths to easy money. Tell me, and this is what I came to ask you, under Millenborn's will, does the husband benefit directly by the marriage, or is he dependent upon what his wife gives him? He benefits directly, said Kitson, after a pause. On his marriage he receives exactly one half of the girl's fortune. That was Millenborn's idea. Make the husband independent, he said. Do not put him in the humiliating position of dependence on his wife's generosity, and there will be a chance of happiness for them both. I see. Of course Van Herden knows that. He only has to produce a marriage certificate to scoop in two and a half million dollars. That is half a million in English money. This is the secret of it all. He wants money immediately. And under the terms of the will? He gets it, said Kitson. If he came to me tomorrow with proof of his marriage, even if I knew that he had coerced the girl into marriage, I must give him his share. Van Herden was pretty thorough when he put my dying friend through his examination. His face hardened. Heavens, I'd give every penny I had in the world to bring that fiend to the gallows. Beale, his voice shook, and rising abruptly, he walked to the window. Presently he turned. I think there is something in your idea. Get the license. I will, and marry her, said Beale quickly. Marry her? I don't quite understand you. For the first time there was suspicion in his voice. 
"'Mr. Kitson, I'm going to put all my cards on the table,' said Beale quietly. "'Will you sit down a moment? There are certain facts which we cannot ignore. Fact one is that Oliver Cresswell is in the hands of a man who is absolutely unscrupulous, but has no other object in view than marriage. Her beauty, her charm, all the attractive qualities which appeal to most men, and to all the brutes, have no appeal to him. To him she is just a money proposition.' If he can't marry her, she has no further interest for him. I see that, agreed the lawyer. But wait, please. If we knew where she was, we could stop the marriage and indict Van Herden. But I've an idea that we shan't locate her until it is too late, or nearly too late. I can't go hunting with a pack of policemen. I must play a lone hand, or nearly a lone hand. When I find her, I must be in a position to marry her without losing a moment. You mean to marry her to foil Van Herden, and after to dissolve the marriage? asked the lawyer, shaking his head. I don't like that solution, Beale. I tell you frankly, I don't like it. You're a good man, and I have every faith in you. But if I consented, even though I were confident that you would play fair, which I am, I should feel that I had betrayed John Millenborn's trust. It isn't because it is you, my son, he said kindly enough, but if you were the archangel Gabriel, I'd kick at that plan. Marriage is a difficult business to get out of once you are in it, especially in this country. Beale did not interrupt the older man. Right, and now, if you've finished, I'll tell you my scheme, he said. As I see it, there's only a ghost of a chance of our saving this girl from marriage. I've done my best, and we, McNorton and I, have taken all the facts before a judge this morning. We got a special interview with the idea of securing a warrant for Van Herden's arrest, but there is no evidence to convict him on any single charge. We cannot connect him with the disappearance of Miss Cresswell, and although I pointed out that Van Herden admits that he knows where the girl is, the judge said, fairly, I thought, that there was no law which compelled a man to divulge the address of his fiancée to one who was a possible rival. The girl is of an age when she can do as she wishes, and as I understand the matter, you have no legal status as a guardian. None, said James Kitson. That is our weak point. I am merely the custodian of her money. Officially, I am supposed to be ignorant of the fact that Oliver Cresswell is Oliver Prado, the heiress. Therefore, our hands are tied, concluded Beale quietly. Don't you see that my plan is the only one? But I haven't told you what it is. There's a man, a criminal, this Parson Homo, who can help. I am satisfied that he does not know where the girl is, but he'll help for a consideration. As a matter of fact, he was pulled again. I am seeing him this afternoon. Mr. Kitson frowned. The gunman, how can he help you? I will tell you. This man, as I say, is known to the police as Parson Homo. Apparently he is an unfrocked priest, one who has gone under. He still preserves the resemblance to a gentleman. He spoke slowly and deliberately. In decent clothes, he would look like a parson. I propose that he shall marry me to Miss Cresswell. The marriage will be a fake, but neither the girl nor Van Herden will know this. 
If my surmise is right, when Van Herden finds she is married, he will take no further steps, except, perhaps, he smiled, to make her a widow. Sooner or later we are bound to get him under lock and key, and then we can tell Miss Cresswell the truth. "'In other words, you intend breaking the law and committing a serious offence,' said Kitson, shaking his head. "'I can't be a party to that. Besides, she may not marry you.' "'I see that danger. Van Herden is a mighty clever fellow. He may be married before I trace them.' "'You say that Homo doesn't know about the girl?' "'What does he know?' "'He has heard of Van Herden. He has heard, probably, from the girl Hilda Glaum, that Van Herden is getting married. The underworld do not get their news out of special editions. He probably knows, too, that Van Herden is engaged in some swindle, which is outside the parson's line of business. "'Will he help you?' "'Sure,' Beale said with quiet confidence. "'The man is broke.' and desperate. The police watch him like a cat, and would get him sooner or later. McNorton told me that much. I have offered him passage to Australia and five hundred pounds, and he is ready to jump at it. You have explained the scheme? I had to, confessed Beale. There was no time to be lost. To my surprise, he didn't like it. It appears that even a double-dyed crook has scruples, and even when I told him the whole of my plan, he still didn't like it, but eventually agreed. He has gone to Whitechapel to get the necessary kit. I am putting him up in my flat. Of course, it may not be necessary, he went on, but somehow I think it will be. Kitson spread out his hands in despair. I shall have to consent, he said. The whole thing was a mistake from the beginning. I trust you, Stanford, he went on, looking the other in the eye. You have no feeling beyond an ordinary professional interest in this young lady? Beale dropped his eyes. If I said that, Mr. Kitson, I should be telling a lie, he said quietly. I have a very deep interest in Miss Cresswell, but that is not going to make any difference to me, and she will never know. He left soon after this, and went back to his rooms. At four o'clock he received a visitor. Parson Homo, cleanly shaved and attired in a well-fitting black coat and white choker, seemed more real to the detective than the Parson Homo he had met on the previous night. "'You look the part, all right,' said Beale. "'I suppose I do,' said the other one shortly. "'What am I to do next?' "'You stay here.' "'I have made up a bed for you in my study,' said Beale. "'I would like to know a little more of this before I go any further,' Homo said. "'There are many reasons why I want information.' "'I have told you the story,' said Beale patiently, "'and I am going to say right here that I do not intend telling you any more. "'You carry this thing through, and I'll pay you what I agreed. "'Nobody will be injured by your deception, that I promise you.' "'That doesn't vary me so much,' said the other coolly, as there came a knock at the door, an agitated hurried knock, and Beale immediately answered it. It was McNorton, and from force of habit Parson Homo drew back into the shadows. "'All right, Parson,' said McNorton. "'I knew you were here. What do you make of this?' 
He turned to Beale and laid on the table a piece of paper which had been badly crumpled and which he now smoothed out. It was the top half of a telegraph form. The lower half had been torn away. To Velocity, London, Beale read aloud. That's you, interrupted McNorton, and the other nodded. To Velocity, London, he read slowly. Am imprisoned at Dean's. At this point, the remainder of the message had been torn off. End of chapter 14 Recorded by Kirsten Weber